Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three and three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell hanging out. What day is it? Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday, hump day. Okay. Let's do it. It's hump day. We've got a big show for you. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury comes out, clarifies he's committed to Josh Rosen. Yep. Be buy it or not. NBA refs on Twitter might be a bad idea. Some people were uh, skeptical of that. Um, but there was huge news in the uh, NFL with Antonio Brown coming out and reportedly asking for a trade. I don't think it was reported. I think he just, he put out this tweet. Say goodbye, right? Say goodbye. Like yeah. he's not requesting anything. He's just saying, I'm out. Please. Yeah. Uh, the, tr- uh, the tweet read, thank you, Steeler Nation, for a big nine years. Time to move on and forward. Peace out. Hashtag new demands. Doesn't so, really work like that in the NFL, though. You, you don't you don't you don't get to demand, do you? Like I am glad you pointed that out, right? Because I think what's happening here is I think Antonio. I've I've said this a couple times in this show. NFL players are jealous of NBA players. Like it's just a fact. Like they just are. They look, they see bigger contracts, right? Fully guaranteed. Sure. Yeah. And now you're seeing this power. And you're seeing LeBron James go on his show and saying how the NFL treats their players awful and how they have no leverage. And so I think Antonio Brown is like surveying the landscapes like, hey, I'm one of the best receivers in the NFL. Correct. If Kawhi Leonard can work his way out of San Antonio and if Anthony Davis can work his way out of New Orleans, I can work my way out of Pittsburgh, surely. Right. I think he's crazy. I think he's wrong on that one because you don't (laughs) hold the same leverage that NBA players do. I think this is going to be really fascinating to see how this plays out because – I think we'd all agree. Like, there was a time we came in here, I was like, you know what? They should all put it behind them. Like, just work it out as men and try to say, hey, we got a, we got something we can play for. We got all this talent on this team. We're close to getting to the playoffs. Let's try to make a run. Then you see some of the stuff that transpired and you're like, oh, it was way worse than any of us thought. It was straight out dysfunctional. Um, so it's clear that Steelers probably want to move on. Antonio Brown wants to move on, but there's cap issues that are in play. There's the the Steelers would take a monster hit uh if he's traded or cut before June first. It's twenty one point two million. If he's traded or cut after June first, that number drops to just over seven million. Certainly it's a smaller number, but it's still a significant hit to take on the on the salary cap. But here's where I think Antonio Brown really hurt himself. Right. By airing this out there and putting this out there, which everybody kind of already assumed, but now you're really forcing everyone's hand. You just took any leverage the Steelers had whatsoever. And I know if you're Antonio Brown, you're like, well, who cares about the Steelers? But you're the player that's in the middle of this. The teams are going to be calling and saying, sure, we'll trade him. We'll give you a seventh-round pick. Well, like they're going to try to fleece the Steelers because they know it's so bad. I was going to ask you. So t- uh, two thoughts. And the first one is about like what you get as a media member or, or as the general public coming out of a locker room. If, if you get, uh, like say on a scale of 1 to 10, if the feeling you get when it reaches you as the media is that, that the situation was at a 2, 1 being the worst possible scenario, 10 being, I mean, 1 being the, 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 the uh, a salvageable situation and 10 being catastrophic, yep. if when it gets to you as the public you think it's a 2, behind closed doors it was usually a 5. Right. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? So when we when we first heard it and people were like, oh, they can put this to bed, like I was of the, the belief that it was already an unsalvageable situation. This is a wrap. There's too much... Uh, there's, there's too much baggage there. There've been too many feelings hurt. There've been too many things said. So I'm not surprised that he's at this point. Um, but I was going to ask you, what do you get? Say he has not like, um, 
Say he has not like cut the legs out from under the Steelers and negotiating or be, and not taking away the leverage in this situation from the Steelers. What do you get on a fair open market in a trade scenario for Antonio Bryant? It's hard to evaluate because we've never seen a player of his caliber right. you know, demand a trade or, or get traded because it just doesn't happen in the NFL. That's why I keep saying like it's not the NBA. Amari Cooper last year was a really, really good receiver for the, you know, throughout his young career. Sure. He was younger. First round pick was with the Dallas Cowboys. And they bought low because he had come off of exactly. a bad year. And they bought low, but that was a right. first round pick. So I think it's going to take a first rounder and then some to get Antonio Brown. The question I have for you, and like, this is my point. I wouldn't, I don't think it's worth it. Like, I think even as good as he is, he's 30 years old, nine NFL seasons. Now he still has probably four or five good years left in him. Yeah. I don't think it's worth the headache. To have them. And it's one thing to have players who are animated on the sideline, who, you know, have blow-ups, who are diva-wide receivers, who complain about getting the ball. That's one thing. When you don't show up for practice and you're late all the time for practice, that's where I'm like, the number one thing you have to be in the NFL is reliable. Sure. Like, and especially in game. Like, you got it, but to get there, you have to be able to practice. You got to be there. And I don't know if I can trust Antonio Brown trust, in that situation. Trust is the word that I was going to use. Like, you use reliable. They're synonymous. Like, But, yes, so look, you can be a headache. You can be a dude who wants the ball and you're ultra competitive and, you know, you're going to get in somebody's face, like, competitively to try to, you know, to try to spur them on and get the best out of them. Like, you can be all of that. But i got to trust that when, when it's time, like, you're going to be there and you're going to be ready to work and you're going to be giving your best. If you're going to be missing and just going AWOL, I'm kind of with you, Danny, and I was of the camp like a couple months ago where I was like, look, man, when you get a chance to swing at that talent, you swing at it. And I still, I still would do that if it was a Kareem Hunt situation. Like, maybe not with the, with the, with the assault type of stuff, but with, with like, you can get him for nothing because no one else wants to touch him. Right. I'll still swing on, on that because that's a transcendent talent. Yep. But I'm probably not giving up multiple first round picks to bring and, in a guy that I don't know that, that's going to show up to work from day to day. And when he gets there, has three years, de- three years left on his deal where he's going to be the highest paid. Yeah, you're locked into that. Yeah, right. you're locked in. So you're kind of hose right there when you take him. Now, I, there obviously will be some players that are in there. I think it'll be a desperate team. Like somebody, like the 49ers, like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they desperately need to infuse some life into that franchise. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt last year. Like they need some offensive weapon. The Jets desperately need offensive firepower to give Sam Darnold. Like that's the type of team that I think would be willing to go there. But I think, I still think when they call up, that first call is going to be like, yeah, we'll give you a fourth rounder, you know, or whatever the number is, but they're going to go really low ball offers. And I think this thing will play out. All the way up to training camp. I think it could be another season where you have drama surrounding the Steelers. Last year it was Le'Veon Bell. Does he report? Does he franchise tag? All this stuff. I think this one, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this goes deep into training camp. Because what the Steelers, the only leverage they have is say, well, Antonio Brown, you have to play for us. And then Antonio right. Brown's going to be like, I already said goodbye. I'm not playing for you. And then it gets uglier and it goes on longer and it's just not a good situation. Yeah, I think it's really interesting though that like, you know, because I hear people talk about well-run organizations, right? Yeah. And there's some names that come up, like the Patriots continue to come up. Um, you know, uh, you know, in the NBA, the Spurs come up all the time and, and Steelers are usually in that mix, yep. right? like very stable. Um, they don't have a whole lot of co- coaching turnover. Um, you know, they've done things the right way as an organization. I think it's pretty interesting that of the last, you know, three or so years that they are the team that is consistently in the headlines with just drama, right? And you had a guy last year just refused to play for you, yep. Le'Veon Bell. Like, that got messy. Now you've got another star player uh, that's embroiled in one of these kind of controversies saying he doesn't want to play. I think that's kind of interesting. And what point did the Steelers, like, become a franchise where people are like, well, maybe it's – 
Like, and I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I mean, like, it, it, where there's smoke, no? Right. Oh, absolutely. So for about like 30 years, going back to Chuck Knoll, and then we had Bill Cowher, right. and then you had Mike Tomlin. So they've had the most security at the head coach position. Like, a lot of teams roll over coaches. You know, the Patriots are dynasties. So sure. It. But most organizations, they roll through coaches because they're looking for success. The Steelers have always been one to pride themselves and, hey, we're going to stick with our guy. And they've been doing that. And they had success early with Mike Tomlin winning Super Bowl. But Mike Tomlin's M.O., is he's a player-friendly coach. Right. Which, as a player, you love that. And you want to find that. But it's a really fine line that you walk as a player-friendly coach because players, for the most part, will end up taking advantage of you. Yeah. Right? They're going to try to, they're going to try to do everything. They're going to get away with everything they can. And I think that's where you're getting to with the Steelers is that, and it's not just Mike Tomlin. It's not just Antonio Brown. It's not just Ben Roethlisberger. All of them own up some responsibility in this mess that the Steelers are finding themselves in right now. But I do feel like the players have taken advantage of Mike Tomlin. You know, that's interesting because I played for Mike D'Antoni, who's very much like a, a player-friendly guy. Yep. Super light-handed when it comes to like, you know, you know, certain things. Wants guys to, want, want guys to have freedom and, 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 and never second-guess their abilities. So he doesn't really step in and micromanage your on-court. And I always said this kind of behind closed doors about it. Like, as long as you had good conscientious dudes, like that was fine. Right. So you needed leaders, good leaders that cared. And then, you know, you needed followers. Right. But if you were going to have like guys who wouldn't lead and set the tone and set the culture, but wouldn't follow the guys that led and set the good culture, like they were going to be a problem. Right. You know what I mean? Because they're always off on their own island. Won't lead, won't follow. Like, yep. what are you going to do? And if that if you have too many of those, like it starts it starts to become like a snowball thing and they will roll over a guy who doesn't have a heavy hand in terms of dis- disciplinary type of things and holding guys accountable. A player-friendly coach can be a great thing. Yeah. Like Shannon, I love it. Player-friendly coach. Yeah. He, was, he was great because he would, he would take it easy on like we would have practices on Fridays. We only wear helmets. That's something I had never seen before. Sure. Uh, during training camp, we only had eight plays with full tackle. That was like full go. You had to tackle yeah. guys. Eight plays in all of training camp. Guys were looking at, if you had, there was a start like 10-year veterans didn't have to do two a day. So you just do one practice. Right. Like those types of things. But at the same time, he also knew where to draw the line. And right. was like, all right, if you guys aren't practicing hard, then we're going to bump it up. And that's where I feel like Mike, Mike Tomlin has a different standard. And talking last week or a couple weeks ago in Atlanta to a bunch of, bunch of former, uh, Steelers, kind of the, the message that came out of there is that there's a double standard mm. and that certain guys, if you're a star, you get treated one way. And if you're a scrub, you get treated another way. Yeah. Which would allow you why Antonio Brown has for so long been able to get away with murder. Like he's out there Facebook living during Mike Tomlin's speech. Never, right. never, there wasn't any consequence. Yeah, Nothing. that's and tough. And then you find out finally you try to lay down the law and it's too late. Like it's it's already gone past the point of no return. And that's where – that's why I think Mike Tomlin this year is coaching for his job. Talent is an enticing thing. man. You it will, is. You will compromise a lot of yourself as a coach or a GM for, for, for talent. Like you know what I mean? You you would really compromise everything you're about sometimes. It's, it's the toughest thing to try to figure out. Do I stay true to myself and what I believe in, like my core values – as a coach or as a, as an organization, or do I take a swing at this dude who could potentially get us over the hump? I want to ask you a question because I always Real find. Me, it, I want to yeah. give you a quote that Mike no, Tomlin had. No. This I think it was after the Facebook Live. It was some Antonio Brown incident, and his response to the reporters because they were like, "What are you going to do to him?" And his response was, "What do you want me to do? Not play him?" And every reporter <laughs> yeah, was like, like silent. What? And they're like, but that's the standard you set. So but, Antonio Brown's like, well, if you're not going to bench, but him, yes, that's what that that it is. Yeah, and correct. That's where you got to in that last game where he didn't play him, and that's why we are where we are now because he yes. let it get to that point. I always felt like sitting around a locker room, there were two kind of guys. Film session. I'm putting you in a film session. Yep. Right now. 
coach says like a blanket statement uh, about what's happening up up on the film. And there are two type of dudes in there. And it boils down to this sometimes. It's easy as this. It's as easy as this. If you're the dude who's sitting in there saying, damn, he's he might be talking to me. And and you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're taking to heart what he's saying. Yep. There's that kind of guy. I need him on my team all the time. That's a yep. good dude. And then there's the other dude that he, he ain't talking about me. <laughs> like right. that type of dude, like right. I can't have them around. You know what I mean? And if you got a lot of dudes who when you're up there, like, you know, talking about what we need to do better and you're not hustling and this is the, and you're sitting there saying, right, true. It was like, man, maybe I wasn't giving 110%. You're a good dude. Stay with me. Right. If you're the one that's sitting there talking about me, he ain't talking about me, he talking about everybody else. All the time. All the Those time. are the worst kind of dudes you yeah. can have. They're not coachable. Like they not don't coachable. Correct. Never their fault. They're always looking Correct. for excuses. Uh, all right, let's switch it over to the NBA. Yeah. Because the Atlanta Hawks beat the LA Lakers last night, 117 to 13. The Lakers have now lost eight of the last 11. Are so they done? Are they done for the all-star break? I need them to be oh, done. Yeah. Are they done? <laughs> right. That was their I'm last sure. game. I'll have to check their schedule. Right. Yeah, that is, they are done since then. All right. But I think we all did need to kind of hold off on the Lakers are going to be fine because yeah. they go into Boston and they have the big win there when, uh, Rondo hits the, the game winner at the end. Because I thought that was just an emotional game, like they gave good effort. I think, I'm telling you, the second half of this season for the Lakers is going to be drama. I think you're going to see Luke Walton probably get fired. I think you'll see LeBron James and the tension between those young players. I think that's not going to just go away. And ultimately, like the the, the thing that we're going to watch is do they make the playoffs? I think it's going to be close down the stretch if they make the playoffs or not. I do think they're going to get into the playoffs. Um I think you could be right on some of the drama. You may even be right on the Luke situation. Although, if they should make the playoffs, I think that speaks to Luke keeping his job through the end of this season. Right. Because um, if they're out of it, if they're like, if they, they're in the tenth seed with and slipping, go, yeah, they're they're firing him. Yeah, probably, probably <laughs> it's the end. Not of it. good. Um, but here's the deal with the Lakers, man. Like, you're right. Like. What gets lost in the Celtics game is they were down like 20 points. Like they right. just, they fired, they fired back, they came back and they, and they pulled one out. And then they go down, you know, 20 the next night in Philly and then you lose. There's something wrong there. This all-star break, the reason why I asked if they're done, uh, with their first half of the season was because they need, they need a break. Yep. They need a mental break from, from whatever's going on there in LA. Uh, some of them probably need a physical break. Uh, you know, I'm watching LeBron play and LeBron can't stay in front of anybody. You know, that's not a good thing. Like when LeBron, like physically he doesn't look like he is, he is the player that he was even earlier this season. So he could use a break. He won't get it, but the team itself, they need to be separated. They need to go on their little mini vacations wherever they're going. They need to hit the reset button, kind of refresh and, and believe did- it or not, believe it or not, two days is what we had. Like two or three days is what we had when I played that little bit of a break could refresh you like 25, 30%, just enough to re-engage you for the last like stretch run. You could be fried going into all-star break. Fried, like just completely checked out. And if you get those three days away, maybe you go somewhere, put your feet in the sand or get to hang out with your kids around a pool or something like that. You'd come back and you could breathe again and you could go to work and you were refreshed. And so they've even stretched that out for the NBA now. I think that you'll see them come back after the break and be a much better version of themselves. The, the, the problem with them now is defensively, Danny. Like, they are atrocious. And I talked about LeBron. He can't keep anybody in front of him. Over the last 11 games, they are 29th in the league in terms of defensive rating. They're giving up 118.7 points per game. You're not, you're not making the eight seed with that. That's, that's disgusting. And so, until they guard somebody, um, they're, they're gonna be bad. But I think generally their spirits, um, and their ability to play together will be better after uh, uh, some sort of break. You talked about the Kobe 
like cult yeah. uh, yesterday. Oh. Did you hear what they were chanting at the game? Kobe's Kobe better. Better. I, and I guarantee you that gets under LeBron's that's skin. Tough. Like that's got to be tough to deal with. Yeah. And there was also like the people that were covering up his uh, mural that they drew in LA. It's like tough. there are some Kobe diehards out there. But you don't want to cross that. Kobe, listen, I, what I would say to you, all, all you Kobe diehards, is like. Kobe had years there where they were really bad too when he didn't have. Well, that's the what I was asking Kogo before the like, show. I'm like, what did he do his last few years? Like they weren't that good then. No, he didn't. He didn't have enough pieces around him as he started to age, and and it wasn't great. So when you get the right pieces around LeBron, like he's not Kobe, he's a different player, but he will bring you championships if you get him the pieces. The problem right now is like those those pieces just aren't. They're not in the same window with LeBron. Like people try to say that they're not good enough and it's an indictment on these guys as players. That's not fair to those players. They're just babies. Like they're, you're talking about Brandon Ingram, you know, Kyle Kuzma is a second year guy, Lonzo Ball, like Hart, like those guys, their window is a few years from now. And then some of those other guys like Rondo and Tyson Chandler, their window was three years ago. Like they're not in their window anymore. Do you know what I mean? So you just got a bunch of guys whose windows don't match up with LeBron's in terms of being able to win championships. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, welcome back, Canel and Bell. So yesterday at the end of the show, you had the Sixers and Celtics playing last night. Correct. Sixers were a six-point favorite. You gave out like with such a confident, you were like, oh, oh, yeah, take the Sixers. Take They'll the Sixers easy. without Kyrie. What I should have so said what was. What do I do? Oh, did you take? I go out there uh, everything on the Sixers, and I'm like, oh, Raza hasn't been wrong yet. You called one of the upsets in college basketball. Yeah, I, huge. Yep. So I was like, I'm all in, and now i got to reload my account. So no thanks to you. Yeah, that's tough. What went wrong, though? Um. What went wrong? They look, they just looked a little new to each other. They were out of sync offensively. Like you tried to reintroduce, I mean, you tried to introduce um, Tobias Harris. I think it's caused a little bit of a a, a hiccup in w- the flow of what they do offensively. I don't think it'll it'll linger much, you know, uh, past the trade deadline. That's something that gets figured out. It just requires everybody kind of, uh, you know, giving up just a a, a little bit. Um, of a touch or an extra dribble here and there to incorporate him a shot here and there to get him extra shots and get into the flow of the offense. So they looked a little fractured offensively. Uh, and then Boston got a great game from Gordon Hayward. Like he had 26 points. He made some big timely shots, you know, and that happens, you know, it's an interesting thing. You subtract Kyrie from that equation. Kyrie's their best player. Like, I don't know that anyone would dispute that. If you lined up all of those guys and said, who's the best player on Boston? You'd say Kyrie. Yet you subtract him from the equation. They play another powerhouse in the East and they get the win without him. It's because there's less mouths to feed. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's less, you know, ball dominance. There's, there's more ball movement. There's more freedom to their offense. Um, and, and it, and it paid dividends last night. 
Ben Simmons was talking about his team, you know, say, hey, this is a new team. There are things we're going to work on, things we need to get better at, but it's a good test for us to see where we're at with this new team. Sure. I'm excited with everyone. Brad Stevens on the Celtics side said, good teams have clunkers, but good teams respond to those with the right effort and approach. There was definitely some sick stuff. Where are you standing on Joel Embiid these days? Because he was he was a little bit upset with the refs after he got pretty vocal about it. How are you feeling him? Because I think he's one of these polarizing figures. He just annoys me. <laughs> that's what I thought. Like, I thought you were going to say. He, no, but he's a heck of a player. Absolutely. Like I think he's you know he's best big in the game right now. But he just annoys like. I, you, everyone knows I'm not the big social media like shtick type of dude. Which he is. And that bothers me. Like, dude, just go out there and hoop, man. Like, you can't be the dude who's talking all the trash in the world to everybody. You got these tiny couches in, in your opponent's heads and you know what I mean? And then go out and then cry about, about not getting fouls and stuff like that. You gotta take the good with the bad, Holmes. You know yeah. what I mean? After he, he did, I, I actually appreciate when dudes take ownership because he blamed the ref somewhat saying yeah. the refs bleeping suck. But then he also said I was sleeping through, uh, sleepwalking through three quarters okay. of me. So I actually right. appreciate that one. Speaking of refs, I think you're going to like this story because you have some ref on ref crime going on right now in the NBA. <laughs> so remember they had the genius idea of starting the Twitter account with sure. official NBA How's that work refs out? verified account. Yeah. It's been mocked widely. Right. So they come out and they're talking about a call in Bradley Beal's apparent travel in uh, their game against the Do Pistons. we have a clip of that? Do we have a clip of that, Coco? Look Here at this. Go. All right. So let's One. Two, three, three. Oh my God! But then four. <laughs> so four steps and a pass. So the NBA refs on Twitter, they said the offensive player gathers with his right foot on the ground. He Stop. then takes two legal steps Stop. before losing control of the ball. After regaining possession, a player is allowed to regain his pivot foot. Stop. So they're basically looking out for their guys. Stop. Basically, they're trying to make it look like excuse. Stop. Me. I like this though, because you have a new favorite officiating dude. NBA Vice President of Referee Development and Training, Monty McCutcheon, oh, comes good. out and disagreed with him. He's like, no. Good He's for like, you, Monty. second. Bradley Beal gathers the ball and takes two steps, but then loses control of the ball. Once he has lost control after taking the two steps, he must regain control and pass or shoot before taking another step in order to be legal. Since he does not regain control under another step, the play is a travel. So you got ref on ref crime. So you're on the side of Monty McCutcheon. Money. It was obvious. Like, I don't know. What are we talking exactly. about? Exactly. Like, it was I, so obvious. This is what bothers me about refs, man. Like, they're, like the credibility, you lose all credibility. Like, there's no, what's the word I'm looking, like integrity? Like, you would come out as a, as a ref organization and defend a four-step travel when even my, my, like, yeah. people who don't know basketball can look at that and tell you it's a travel. <laughs> right. That's ridiculous. My six-year-old, I'm trying to teach how not to travel. She would even know. That's a travel. Like you have to travel. You can't pick it up. They would even recognize Good for that. you, Monty. Like, I like Monty. Monty's a cool dude. I like a, a lot of the refs I like. In their street clothes. Like, yep. do you know what I'm saying? Like, they're cool. Like, good dudes. Like, Monty, you see him in the airport and stuff like that. He's cool. cool good people. Talk to him and stuff like that. Some of them, now I'm not saying Monty, but once they get those stripes on, become like a different human being. Coca, let me ask you something. On the NBA officials' account, do they hold their their refs accountable? Like, do they call them no. out if they have a bad call? Do they say that was an incorrect call? Like, and how often do they do it? I'm looking right now. I don't they do not. I, just, I don't think they do either. Well, that That's... escalated quickly. <laughs> you know, when talking about losing control, right. uh, we're talking about a fumble below the fumble rule or something. Like, there's there's yeah. nothing that's like calling anybody out though. Because to your point, then that's where you lose all credibility. Yeah. Because if you got to point out the good and the bad, like if you want to explain certain calls, which is really all they're doing, but you won't explain that there was a mistake made, then you lose all credibility. But you just look at me. We're right. great. Look at me. No, right. dude, you make mistakes and and. I think for the most part, most, most people who play 
sports, any sport competitively, whether it's professionally or not, you understand that refing that sport is a tough job. Yeah. Anybody who's ever been to like a camp or worked as a camp counselor and you got to ref 11 year olds play basketball, you, it's not, you miss a lot of stuff. So you'll allow like some human error. All we really want or all I ever wanted, like from a ref and still to this day, like I just want you to admit, yeah, dude, I might, I like, cause I'm looking at it too. Right. You know what I mean? And so I saw it. You can't, you can't be wrong. Like this is an impossible thing for me to come over and you can, ne- you cannot admit. If you would do that or more refs, some do, the good ones, the ones that you have good relationships would be like, yeah, Raj, I didn't have a good angle on that, man. I don't know. I didn't see that one. And you keep it moving. Right. What, what can I say to that? I cannot say anything to you. The a-hole will come over to you and be like, no, I saw it. I missed it. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, I didn't, I, I right. saw it. I didn't miss it. I got it. Right. And you're like, well, you were standing behind me. So I know you couldn't see, like, that's the one that people can't kind of get over. Well, it's, it's the same in life. Like people who aren't ever willing to admit they're wrong. Like right. I'm, I'll go out there every time. If I'm wrong on a player, on a game, on a pick, I'll Own say it. it. I was right. wrong. Like it was a dumb take. That yeah, is it life. You're right. Pick. Yeah. You're right. But you see people who just don't do it. And then they're the people you don't want to hang out with. Do like, you, you got to be able to accept your wrongness sometimes. Do you know, I had like, so I like our organization was playing our fourth grade team was playing. I was not coaching. I was sitting in the stands and the ref was running by me. Right. And we were playing up in fifth grade. So the team was better than us. We right. were, we were going to get beat, but I wanted to see our kids compete. Like we were, we need to be, you know, fighting and clawing and trying to get better. And so, you know, I said something to the ref about like, Hey man, you like they've shot like, 12 free throws. We haven't shot any. We're going to the basket just like them. He shot a look at me like, and I was like, I looked around in the stands like, did you all see that? This guy was, he spent the rest of the game, Danny, the rest of the game running up and down the court, looking at me, mugging you, laughing, and then looking up at the scoreboard and pointing at it. <laughs> like, I'm like, brother, you're out you here. Have making, words after the no, game. I left it alone because I was like, look, man, like, that says a lot about you, like as a dude who's who's out here reffing like ten right. year olds, right. nine year olds, um, and and y- you have so little class that you're going to be looking over at me, pointing to the scoreboard, basically saying, "Yeah, I'm getting you." Right. But you're not getting me. Right. Like it's you know what I mean. Like right. the kids are the ones suffering. I bet he's a decent dude when he takes those stripes off. Right. You know, but there's something about there's like a god complex that that when people put them stripes on. Absolutely. So I just I just want to clarify because I found like they're. They're like NB, they have like a, a ref watch party, and there are some where it's like DeRozan catches the pass, steps back twice before coming to a stop. As mentioned in a previous tweet, a moving player may catch the ball and take one to two stop. This should not have been called a traveling call. So they do call out some mistakes. Okay. All right. That's good. All appreciate right. that. Yeah. I definitely got that one wrong last night. Uh, this story, I think you're going to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Or hate, either way you look at it. So Montreal. Or refs? Carol. No, no, no. Oh. Fans. <laughs> there was a game, the Clippers, uh, Timberwolves game. Yeah. Harold told a fan, sit over there and be a fan. Shut the bleep up now. Good for you, Montreal. microphone. Uh, in Minnesota. Yeah. So he gets fined 25 grand, which seems pretty steep to me just for dropping an F word. <sighs> yeah, I mean. Glad there weren't a whole lot of mics around. Right. <laughs> now, I wonder if this I, is a reciprocation from some earlier deer because there was a road loss to the Grizzlies back in December. Harold climbed some stairs, apparently set up for a TV camera to yell at a heckler saying, I'll smack the bleep out of you. Maybe this is kind maybe of, he was maybe he was warned. Yeah. He, yeah. He had to have, because I can't imagine. So he, I would him. imagine dude say a lot worse than that. 
throughout games just to get into it with fans. Because they like to – like that's the thing I think people don't understand is players are used to talking trash like all the time on the court. Yeah. So a fan, you're going to kind of just treat any sa- the same way. So you might just hurl insults at them, hurl whatever you want at them because they're they're engaging you. So you're going to give it back to them. You're not just going to sit there and take it. Yeah, I never understood why – again, I've said, I'm sure I've said this on air. I know I've said it off air. Why a fan thinks that they can sit there and say anything in the world to you and you're supposed to just – just Cape. wear at. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey man, if you're, I, I had a fan in Charlotte one night, like I, I was coming back, I was on a visiting team and you know, he was there with his daughter. Like his daughter was like 11 and he was yelling some insane stuff at me. And I was looking over like, man, that's a great example you're setting for her. Right. <laughs> and so after a while, like I fired back at him from the bench. Like I gave him the business. Right. And he was so offended. <laughs> and I said, my man, like, You've been yelling that stuff in front of your daughter the whole game. Like, don't get sideways with me when I yell it back at you, you know? And so, like, to your point, dudes do this all the time. Like, you're running up and down the court. Somebody yells something. You hit a shot. You might say, take that. Keep it moving. You know what I mean? Like, I I think Montrez probably going after a fan had the league on alert a little bit. Yeah. And then when he did it again, the mic caught it. They had to levy some kind of thing. But I don't think it's a big deal. Like, you certainly don't want guys, like – Physically engaging. assaulting and engaging no, with fans, but that just back and forth quick bars while I'm running happens up and down the, the court happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury. So he found himself in a little bit of a dilemma. Yeah. As we talked about yesterday, there's a lot of speculation what they're going to do with that number one draft pick. Kirk Herbstreit comes out, others come out, a lot, a lot of people in the, you know, college football draft scene are saying, oh, there's a good chance. Maybe the Cardinals go all in Kyler Murray and they're, they're going to move on from Josh Rosen. That looks, that puts Cliff Kingsbury in a really tough spot because he's got a quarterback that's only one year in the NFL. Sure. He's the new coach. He's probably banking on this happen. I think he should. And so he had to come out and say, quote, our feelings towards Josh haven't waned or changed or anything. I get we have the first pick in the draft. So there's going to be a million scenarios over the next three months that are going to come up. But no, Josh is our guy. Well done, Cliff. He had to say that. Even if it does, I don't think it goes down. I don't think it's realistic. Even if it is, he has to come out. Well, don't, you don't think what's realistic? That they take Kyler? They, they take Kyler Murray at the number one overall pick in the draft. I think it's all speculation. I think it's all leverage. I think it's all Kyler Murray's people working those rumors to get him more money. Yeah. Um, look, this is one of those where you're, you're a young, like you're a rookie head coach. Like you come out and you say what they prepare for you to say. Totally. There you go. Yep. This is what you're going to say when you get to your press conference today. Yep. Like, do you know what I mean? Like people think, David Blatt sometimes would be like we like my job at times would be to sit with David Griffin and David Blatt in David Blatt's office after a game, right? He would have addressed the team already. We chop it up, and then David Griffin would essentially be telling David Blatt like what we want to say to the media tonight. Like this is where we are as a franchise. Like these are the type of questions you're going to get. This is how you navigate this. And David Griffin was brilliant with that. But that's what happened to Cliff Kingsbury. Someone walked into his office that morning, say, "Hey, dude, you're about to have a press conference. You got to you got to nip this in the bud. You've got to take care say. of this. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. You can ad lib a little bit, but right. I need you to hit these bullet this points. Is the message that you're going to get out there. The thing that's really dumb, and I I kind of sometimes I think people are smarter than they actually are, but a lot of this speculation comes about from a video that was circulating when Cliff Kingsbury was hired. And he's on camera. Oh yeah. As the head coach of Texas Tech. And he's like, Hey, if I had a number one pick, I would take him number one overall. You have to put that in context. He was playing against Kyler Murray at when he, Kyler Murray was at Oklahoma. Sure. He's the opposing coach. Of course he's going to yeah, well, his ego. Right. He's going to lift him up and say he's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. That happens all the time. And it means absolutely nothing. It's you like think nothing. There's a 0% chance. Like 
I think there's always a chance. I'll All right, say you zero. Think, you think there's more? You think there's takes. more than? Uh, I think it's a two percent chance. It's that low. So what? Two percent chance. Okay. Like I would put all my money that Kyler Murray is not on the on the Arizona Cardinals. I don't I don't think it happens at all. I got you. But it'll be the hey the speculation will be fun. No, I got you. Even said that there will be a million scenarios. Yeah. They'll all be discussed uh, over the next three months until the draft takes place. All right, welcome back, Canel and Bell. Let's finish off some leftovers. So Kevin Durant, a lot of speculation yeah. around him. What's he going to do as a free agent next year? Gone, that boy gone. He wasn't happy gone. about it. He tried to put him down. He, he is gone. He gone. Where's he going? Well, I mean, because he said after the traded Porzingis, he's like, I'm not going. I didn't say I was going to New York, right. but he has a company, 35 ventures, 10 employees. They're moving their offices to guess where? New York City. Is this a connect the dots where it's that obvious? Or could it possibly be, hey, they want to be in a big media market. So why not go to the biggest media market in the world? Could it be both? <laughs> that's what I, I mean, can it be like I it makes sense it for your company to be there? But yep. yes, I'm probably going to New York. His business partner, Rich Kleiman, actually lives in New York. Right. Uh, he's currently very involved in Silicon Valley. I did not know that. I wonder what he's yeah. got going on. Now, these dudes, you know the, the saying, like, you got to have money to make money? Yep. Man, they're just like, and they can disperse it out and go around. Yep. And, man, that'd be fun. Making money. Uh, so if the Golden State Warriors lose, I think it's really hard for him to bounce. If they win, I think that he's done everything that he can do, and now right. it's time to do it on my own. Do you right. know what I mean? Like totally. I, I think kind of that's the way it is, and I think you know he and everyone there anticipates that they win another one, and so I do think. But I mean, LeBron left after they lost the Heat. Like the Heat lost, and he left after that one. I think he's going to leave regardless. I don't. Do I don't cares if it's easy or hard. I think he wants. To, there was a lot of truth, and when he got upset about the article that Ethan Strauss wrote, uh-huh. I think there was a lot of truth underneath it. And it was that he thought when he won in 2017 his title with the Warriors that he would overtake LeBron as the king, as the GOAT of right. the current NBA stature. Right. And I think he is frustrated that he hasn't been that. And he realizes, hey, if I want to be taken seriously in that and take out right. LeBron, I've got to go somewhere else. I always thought he'd go to the Lakers to play with LeBron, and now I'm totally off that. Because if that's true, why would you go join him? You're going to go somewhere. And if there was an opportunity to win – a franchise, a city, and if you bring the Knicks back to relevance, even if you made it to the, you don't have to make it to the conference finals. Like you just make a deep run in the playoffs, right? You're gonna be a legend in New York. Yeah, you would be a legend. And I mean, you haven't even touched on the fact that, like, you know, New York's positioned pretty well to get him, and I think they got max money for two guys. So you'd bring him, and you know, he'd be bringing a peer. Do you know what I mean? That'd yeah. be a package deal. So right. It'd be, You'd be bringing in someone else to help. It wouldn't be cupboards bare. And they could still, I mean, they're on like a 17 game losing streak. They could still mess around and get Zion. Right. And if you wanted to take Zion at that point, because you got two stars and flip him for more ready made, like you could essentially build a super team in New York around Kevin Durant. Yep. I don't think it matters. The fact that the company's there, I do think it's interesting, but I don't think it's a done deal, but yeah. I, that's kind of where I would say he's leaning to. Uh, college football. We had signing day not too long ago. We yeah. covered it here. Hasn't been the best offseason for uh, Florida State. They lost one of their quarterbacks they had early committed to North Carolina, Mac Brown, yeah. right out from under them. Actually, they only have one quarterback that's under scholarship in James Blackman. It's a little bit concerning for Florida State. Now they've lost another four-star uh, recruit, a defensive back who went to Maryland. They're choosing I'm getting Maryland of, over Florida State now? Yeah, it's, it's hometown. All right. On, it's I, hometown, just say. I, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, there are a lot, I'm getting a lot of, uh, messages on Twitter. Yeah. Like, hey, are you worried about Willie Taggart? I wasn't worried last year. I think it was year one. 
I'm worried about the lack of depth at quarterback, but like knowing today's landscape and where kids with their mindset is like, I want to start early. Before a lot of these decisions were made, they still had DeAndre Francois and James Blackman. So you had two guys with start with experience playing there. Yeah. And I think that made it tough for them to get another quarterback in. Concern level's not there, so I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. It is starting to be like, oh, yeah, this could get tough I, on Florida State. But I'm not to there. Like, it's still his second year at Florida State, Willie Taggart. I think a bigger problem for Florida State and Miami is, like, the battle for the Florida recruit. And I, Florida is winning that again now. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of totally. like a cyclical thing, right? For a while, everybody wanted to go to Miami. People yep. wanted to be a cane. Yep. And then somewhere like around, you know, in our generation, it became like, no, Florida State's going to scoop it. Like people go to Florida State. Yep. Florida had its run and then they dropped back off. Florida State took them over again. Now it's Florida. Like these guys are flipping and they're going to the Gators. Like the Gators have some momentum and that's a real deal thing for both Manny Diaz, um, and Willie Taggart, right? When you're not getting the Florida kids, and they're choosing to go in-state rivals. Like that's that's tough. You know what it boils down to? Florida State was five and seven. Uh, Miami was seven and six. Yeah. Like that's what kids want to play at winners. Yeah, they sure. Want to win. So that's why you see programs where the rich get richer. And Florida having a good first year with Dan Mullen is huge. Yeah. That momentum. They've been able to carry that momentum into year two with a great recruiting class. And that's what makes that challenge really tough. Here's the thing about Willie Taggart. A lot of people don't look back when he was at uh, most of his stops that he's been there. It started off rough, right, and then just there was a dramatic turnaround. I just hope that Florida State fans are patient enough where you make it through the rough patch, and then he gets that opportunity. Because I do believe in what he's selling. I do believe that he cares about the kids, academics, like all those things sure. are important. They're only so important to boosters, though. I hear like, boosters want to win. They yeah. want to win championships. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. What you know happens. what? You know what else is going on in Florida? Seriously, and you can't discount this. Like their their swag is silly with like the Jordan gear. Like it's oh yeah, ripping, right. And like, Dan Mullen always he was Adidas at Mississippi State. Bro. Always have these sweet kicks that were custom made. Now he's got Jordan brand. Yeah, behind man. Him. Like it's a thing. Absolutely, it is a thing. All right, what do we got tonight, Coco? What do you got for bets for us? What All right, our, let's go with. Lock. The Warriors and Trailblazers. There's no line on this game, though. Well, but how can we bet on it? There's no line. Well, just tell us. Give us an answer. Where's the game? Well, I mean, if it's the game's in line. the game's in Portland. Of course, you're going to take the Warriors if it's money line. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Let's go. Rockets, Timberwolves. Rockets on the road. James Harden looking for 31 straight games, 30 plus points. I got it. Rockets minus three. Forget all the lines. Does James Harden get another one? He'll get oh, the no. 30 plus. He is going to be squeezing. Really? Squeezing early and often. All right. I'm going to give you my lock, and I'm going to say the Rockets. I say he gets 30, and I think they win. I think they cover. Boom. Danny's lock. Uh, three. Boom. All we'll, right. see. we'll start keeping track leads. We'll have a record. All right. Out. There you go. All right. Good stuff from you today. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Make sure if you don't subscribe, go subscribe on the podcast, on iTunes, everywhere they're found, and YouTube channel. Make sure you go check that out, too.